You know, the series that we've been in, we started uh, three weeks ago with just this thought uh, following Christmas when, when the angel said to the, to the shepherds, behold, you know, behold, take a look and see there's a Savior born. And they were like, we need to see this for ourselves. And they went rushing off to see the, to see the baby in a manger. And we, uh, as, I, as I was pondering that, it just came to mind how many times that happened after that. That there was people who went to see Jesus for themselves. And just a quick recap, in week one, we looked at a man named Peter. Peter was a rough around the edges, blue-collar fisherman. And when uh, he, uh, he was a self-proclaimed sinner, when he came in contact with Jesus, he was like, Lord, I, I'm a sinner. We don't belong together. But after a number of encounters with Jesus, Jesus called him to come follow him. And uh, Peter, he left all and followed Jesus. And he had a revelation of who Jesus is. He was the son of God, the savior of the world. And then in week two, we looked at this woman at a well. And uh, she had a very unpretty uh, history. Uh, Relationships that had gone bad. She had just relational wreckage in her past. Everybody knew she was a sinner. Everybody in that town. And uh, yet as she meets Jesus at the well, she has this revelation of who he is. He initiates a conversation with her. And she runs and tells everybody in town, come and see. Come and see the man who told me uh, everything I've ever done. Maybe he's the Messiah. And then last week we had Zacchaeus preaching about Zacchaeus, which was pretty uh, pretty great. If you weren't uh, here, Zacche- Zacchaeus um, from the Bible is a whole nother level of sinner. I don't know about Zach, but Zacchaeus from the Bible, a whole nother level of sinner. They actually, um, they actually would call the group of sinners the sinners and the tax collectors. They were that bad. They didn't even belong in the category of notorious sinner. And uh, we have Zacchaeus. He's a greedy little trader who climbed a tree to come and see Jesus for himself. And has this revelation as Jesus like, Zacchaeus, come on down. We're going to your house. I got crowds of people I can hang out with today, but it's going to be you. And man, he has a revelation of who Jesus is, and it changes his life as a result. Uh, I saw this thing Beth sent me on Instagram. I wanted to bring it and post it, but you'll just have to go look it up later. But there's this youth pastor talking about how Zacchaeus got out of the tree. And uh, he says, you know, I don't know how Zacchaeus got out of the tree, but here it goes. And he jumps to swing off a branch, and the rest you'll just have to see. So go look that up. Uh, But... We know that Zacchaeus' story in Scripture explains what happens when somebody meets Jesus for themselves. It changes the rest of their life. And as we think about those three characters and others, we, we, may, we may, you know, have that thought in our mind. Yeah, those people definitely needed a Savior. <laughs> they needed to come to Jesus' moment, uh, for sure, in their life. Uh, but today, you know, we want to talk, uh, today's talks about a come and see moment for those who think they already have come and seen. And today it's easy, I know it'll be easy for all of us to assume that this message is for someone else, but I would encourage yourselves, as myself as well, to listen for his voice. And so we're going to jump right in tonight uh, and th- at this point. There are many accounts in scriptures that mention a type of person who has eyes, but they can't see. A type of person who has eyes, but they can't see. And maybe you know someone like that, you know, they, they, uh, they don't see what you see. Maybe they're colorblind, you know, and they, they, they see things. You're like, that dress is red. And they're like, it's green. They can't see what you see, you know, or maybe they're nearsighted. Uh, and like for myself, I, I, uh, I'm starting to get to that age where I probably need to wear my glasses at night. And the other night, Beth and I were out on a date and we almost had to take two vehicles home at one point because I was driving and all of a sudden I saw a truck passing a truck and I'm like, 
I'm going to meet one of these two head on. So I pull over, you know, to the side to save our lives. And Beth's like, what are you doing? I was like, the truck was in there. And she's like, it's following the other truck. (laughs) She's like, put your glasses on. And it's probably going to happen sooner than later. I'll be here preaching with glasses. I I see your, I see your blobby faces, you know, (laughs) but I don't know if you like it or not, but that's all right. It's good. You know, um, Maybe for you, the person you see is any man trying to find something in the fridge. And it's like, they just can't see what you see. <laughs> Fellas, it's always behind the milk, all right? So, you know, or people that just see, see they've got blind spots in their life. You see them, and you're like, man, how do they not see what I can see in their life? They're always broke, and they never know why. And you're like, it's because you spend more than you make. How do you not see? But they can't see. You know, or maybe their marriage is always in trouble and they can't figure out why. You're like, I know why. You talk to your woman like that, it's going to be trouble for you. How do you not see that? She's not your mama. She's not your nanny or your maid. She's your wife. You can't speak to her like that, but they don't see. You know, maybe it's another brother or sister in church who's oblivious to the obvious sin in their life. They're like, how do they not know? How do they not see? How are they living like this? And they just can't. See, they just don't see. You know, for those who are reading with us in the Old Testament right now, we just came to the story of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is just resisting God's, uh, commands, God's command to his life to let the people go. And all of a sudden, all of his advisors come and say, Pharaoh, like, we can't do the magic tricks that this, these guys are doing. Like, this is the finger of God. Don't, don't mess with it. And he's like, I'm going to mess with it. And then a couple plagues later, they're like, Pharaoh, seriously, don't you see? It says in Exodus 10, verse 7, don't you see that Egypt is in ruins? But he obviously doesn't see. Because he's like, nah, we're going to have a few more plagues before it's all said and done. Like, how do, they not, how do they not see? You know, it's true in the spiritual sense as well. We have people that have eyes, but they don't, they don't see. And Jesus spent a lot of time talking to crowds of people, teaching them parables Matthew wrote a number of them down as we're reading through Matthew, those reading through the New Testament. We keep coming across more and more of these parables. And so we're going to start with one tonight. So go to Matthew chapter 13. We're not going to go to a lot of places tonight that I'm going to make you turn to, but we're just going to read a significant portion from those places. So Matthew chapter 13, love for you to join me there. Go, go in your Bible to the middle and then keep going to the right. You come to the red letters. The first ones of those are Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is telling a parable about a sower and seeds. He's telling a story. He's like, hey, there was this guy who went out and threw seeds on the ground. And maybe you know the story, right? The the, the sun was hot and it baked some of them. The birds came and ate some of them. The weeds choked some out. And some grew. And I was like, oh, Jesus, that's a fun story. And that's mostly what the crowd heard. And Jesus ends the story with this this verse in verse 9. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone with ears to hear, he's like, I just told you a story, but anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And he's not saying that, hey, there's people here who are like, it's like a deaf convention or something where they can't hear. He's saying, man, you have ears. But if you do, he's like, listen, like listen to understand. And what is that? It's that idea of come and see. That's what that word understand means. When you understand something, you see it. I have it with our kids with a math problem. We're working through it and like, I don't get it. I don't get it. And then all of a sudden they get it. And they're like, ah, I see it now. 
Right? That's what understanding is. I, I see it. And so Jesus was saying, anyone to hear should listen, should come and see. And so his disciples take him up on the offer. So let's just read the rest of the account in Matthew 13. Verse 10, it says this. His disciples came and they asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? And he replied, you are permitted to understand or to see the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. <clears throat> to those who listen to my teaching... More understanding or more sight will be given, and they'll have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding, what little sight they have, it'll be taken away from them. That's why I use parables. He says this, for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. And this actually fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, when you hear what I say, you won't understand. And when you see what I do, you'll not comprehend. For the hearts of these people, the hearts of these people are hardened. And their ears cannot hear. And they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see. And their ears cannot hear. And their hearts can't understand or see. And they can't turn to me and let me heal them. And he finishes with this to his disciples. But blessed are your eyes because they see. And your ears because they hear. You know, Jesus is talking about a type of person who has ears, they have ears, but they don't truly hear or understand. They have eyes, but they don't see. And it wasn't new as far as people go. It's not a new thing when Jesus was like, oh, hey, this is kind of, this is like a brand new type of person. He's actually quoting people from hundreds of years previous. In Isaiah's time, there were people with eyes who didn't see. They, they, they had physical eyes, but they, they they couldn't see with the spiritual uh, man. Jeremiah's time, same thing. Jesus' time, same thing. Today, same thing. You know, the Jewish people in the first century, even after Jesus died, rose from the dead, started the church, they were described in this way as well. 2 Corinthians 3, you don't have to turn there. Um, it says this, we'll put it on the screen. But 2 Corinthians 3 says this, but the people's minds were hardened. To this day, whenever the Old uh, Covenant, which is the Old Testament, the, the, the only portion of Scripture that the Jewish people had, he says, whenever they read that, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand, which is another word for? See. They, they, they can't understand. They're reading the Old Testament. There's a veil. They can't see the truth. This veil can only be removed by believing in Christ. And yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, and even today he's speaking to the time, uh, 50 years, um, 50 AD, so 20 years after Jesus has left the planet, he says, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. They don't see. What don't they see? What don't they see? What's, 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 what's this writer mentioning that these people, they don't see? When they're looking through the Old Testament, what are they missing? What are they missing? In John chapter 5, you jot this down, verse 39 to 40. It's actually the, the whole John chapter 5. We're not going to read it. But Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the guys who get paid to be good, and they get paid to know the law. They read the Old Testament religiously. They know it so well. And Jesus is speaking to them, and he says this to them. He says, you search the Scriptures the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, you search them because you think that they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. And yet you refuse to come to me. Yet you refuse to come and see and receive this life. He's like, man, you study this. You think that your religious activity is what makes you right with God. And he's like, and you're missing it. You're not getting bonus points for how much you read. 
He says they read the Old Testament religiously, but they can't or they refuse to see that all of it's pointing to Christ. And you know, it's the same today. I mean, how many people read through this and they're like, they start reading through the Old Testament and they get lost in the deep weeds and they're like, oh, I can't believe there's a God like that. You know, all this murder and all this like terrible stuff. And they're like, what they don't realize as they read is like, it's simply describing a world that needs a savior. Let's paint the picture so dark so that when the light comes, you'll recognize him. It's crazy. He says, you're searching, you're searching, and you see the darkness, and yet the light standing right in front of you, and they don't, they don't see. You know, that's the same today. There's a world that needs a Savior. People, people even searching the scriptures through religion and through re- religious uh, behaviors or, or services or whatever, but getting lost in it, not seeing that it points to Christ. And the people of that time, it just describes them as having a veil over their eyes. They, they, they can't see. You know, it's interesting when you think about who wrote that passage of Scripture we just read in 2 Corinthians. He's like, they study the word, you know, religiously, but there's a veil over their eyes and they can't see. It was written by a guy named Paul. A guy named Paul. Paul who was, who was one of those people. You know, the story of Paul story of many today. They're born into a faith-filled home. They're born into a, a house of, of some sort of religious affiliation and faith. Paul was born into a, into a uh, Jewish family practicing Judaism. He was born into the right kind of family. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin was one of the remaining tribes of the 12 that was still around. He was born into the right home. It was a Jewish home that had Roman citizenship. It was like the best, the the the, the the cream of the crop type family to be a part of. You know, he probably went to Sabbath school as a kid. You know, like our kids in Sunday school. He's, he's there. Well, they're in Sabbath school today, actually. Didn't even think of that. Um, but he had the right teacher, too. He, went, he was from Tarsus, but had traveled to Jerusalem to study under, uh, under this man named Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the top instructor in all things Old Testament and the law. And that was Paul's teacher. And he name drops him because everybody knows him. And he says he was a Pharisee. You know, those people that Jesus just said, you search the scriptures thinking they give you life. He's, this is the group that Paul was a part of. He was so zealous for his religion, so zealous for the law of God, that he would break the law to keep the law. I know, it's so weird, eh? So zealous for the law, he would break the law to keep the law. Meaning this, If you go to the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, it mentions all these laws. And number six, anybody know what it is? Thou shalt not? That's right. Thou shalt not murder. Number six. But Paul would break number six so that others would keep number one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He's like looking around and seeing this, this church, these Jesus followers, who's like, they should be following Yahweh, and now they're following this Jesus guy. They deserve to die. And he would commit murder in order, to, in order to keep the law so that others would keep it. And he was an expert in loopholes, and he thought he was actually justified in doing it. And you can read it about in Acts chapter 7, where Stephen is, is, uh, is murdered right in front of him with his whole uh, blessing. But Paul says this in Philippians, when he describes who he was, this is how he thought of himself. He says, as for righteousness according to the law, I was blameless. He thought, even though he had murdered people, that he, was, he had found the loopholes while I was murdering them for good cause because they were breaking law number one. 
So in a sense, I was actually doing the right thing. You're like, how can you, how can you get there? Because he's blind. He's totally unaware to the fact that he's blind to the God that he thought he served and worshipped. And that's the deception of religion. It's the deception of religion that the rules and the traditions simply blind people to the truth. And there is a religion called Christianity as well. That religion has not evaded this same, this same deception. That people think that they're serving a God and yet they're blinded to who he truly is. Paul was one of these men. Paul becomes a human wrecking ball when it comes to the early church and the followers of Jesus. And he's like, I'm single-handedly going to eradicate them. And there's a, there's like, it's like the big fire of them is in Jerusalem. So he starts there and he, he makes your life so miserable by arresting them and, and having them killed that they, they take off. And Paul's like not just you know, going to kick the fire out. He's, he's going to go everywhere he can and stomp out all the embers too. He's like playing you know, Christian whack-a-mole. Every time one pops up, he's just like going wherever they are to kill them. That's what he's doing. And he ends up on this place uh, uh, heading towards Damascus because he hears that's where they are now. And he heads off to Damascus. And let's read the account. You can go to Acts chapter 9. If you're still in Matthew, turn to the right. We're going to go to uh, the book of Acts. Again, one of these ones that I just want to take some time to walk through this story and just let the word speak for itself. There's nothing highlighted on the screen, so you might as well read it from your Bibles. Here we go, Acts 9. Meanwhile... Saul was uttering threats with every breath. So Saul and Paul, for those who aren't familiar, before he met Christ, he went by the name Saul. After he met Christ, life so changed, he goes by, I believe it's his Roman name, Paul. So it says this, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, and he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Like, he wasn't even just doing it because he had to. He was, like, excited to do this. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for the cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way uh, that he found there. The way being Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, mission of darkness, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men who were with Saul stood speechless. for They heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days. He didn't eat or drink anything. Now there was another believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said to him, Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus. His name is Saul. He's actually praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Can you imagine being Ananias? Like, it's like, ah, Lord, I don't think I want to do this. He's like, ah, I've already shown him that you're coming. There's no getting around this. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, verse 13, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. Lord, don't you know that he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name? Like, here's Ananias, like, dealing with the Lord. I got to get out of this. But the Lord said, go. 
Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to people of Israel. And I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. I'm going to let him see. And then Ananias went and found Saul and he laid his hands upon him. And brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared, who you saw, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he got up, and he was baptized like this. Afterward, he ate some food, and he regained his strength. It says in verse 19, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And then verse 20, and immediately, he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. What an incredible, incredible story. Here's a man that we just said did, was, did not realize that he was blind to the very God that he thought he worshipped and served. And he becomes literally blind so that he can see. He ends up on this road. The light shines. He doesn't see Jesus. He sees a light so bright that it blinds him. And yet in that blindness is where he sees Christ. He sat for three days in darkness, but for the very first time he could actually see. You know, as we read the Old Testament, we read about Pharaoh, and Pharaoh actually sat in three days in darkness as well. You know, the darkness was so thick, it says they couldn't see anyone. They may as well have been blind, but with Pharaoh we see it made him more hard-hearted. He wanted nothing to do with God coming out of his time of darkness. And yet, we know that something happened to Paul in his time of darkness. And when it says at the end, it says that when Ananias prayed for him, it's like something like scales fell from Paul's eyes. But he had already seen way before that. And he actually writes to the Corinthians later um, in the end of his first letter to them. And he says it this way. I'll just read it for you. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. He says, I passed on to you what was the most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. Now he begins to take them through the scriptures. Why? Because he can see. He's like... Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by the apostles. What's he say? I'm not telling you a story. There's eyewitnesses who have seen him. They came and saw for themselves. Remember Peter on the beach with Jesus? He saw him alive for himself. And then it says this, last of all, or at last, as though I'd been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Where did that happen? In that three days of darkness, Paul saw Jesus. He had a personal revelation of who Jesus is. Why is that important? Because I think in every other story we've covered, people saw Jesus with their physical eyes. As we speak to an audience tonight, there's like, well, I don't know if I'm going to, you know, I've seen him with my physical eyes. And Jesus is saying that that's not the most important thing. Have you seen him? And when Paul writes, I've seen him, that word is I saw, I know, I experienced him. That's what he goes to preach. It says immediately he preaches that Jesus is the son of God. Here's a guy who's like, you know, he's changed. Why? Peter, when he hears about who Jesus is, they go out and they're telling people. The woman at the well, as soon as she knows who Jesus is, she's going to tell people. Zacchaeus, he's like, man, everybody's got to know about how amazing this, this Jesus is. And they're like, we already know, but thank you. 
And here it is, Paul, just like, man, get me in front of a crowd. Get me a a microphone. I need to tell people about who Jesus is. What's his message? We know that his message, we know it because he wrote it in Romans. As he wrote to the Romans, he says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You know, and he had just confessed Christ as, as Lord. He said he is indeed the Son of God. What happened? Say this, by the grace of God, the veil was taken from Paul's eyes. A man who was like religious, 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 that the veil got taken. And you know, we see with Paul that finally he could see. Think about this. The one who thought that his good deeds for God made him right with God could now see. The one who trusted that he was one of God's children because he was born in the right nation could now see. The one who attacked and murdered others for following Christ as if that was doing a service for God could finally see. And the one blindly following his religion could now finally see. And he describes it to the Corinthians this way in verse 16 of that same chapter 3. He says, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. He says, religion, you can do religion, but it isn't until someone turns to the Lord that the veil is taken away. For the Lord is spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Man, when people come to see Jesus, when they come to him, they get to see. They get freedom. And so tonight, as we speak to this audience, to those watching online, maybe you're sitting here and you're still kind of in that religious mode. You do church, but you don't see. You think maybe some of these things are helping or, or whatever, but he wants you to see him for yourself. And maybe everyone in this room, you're there. You're like, yes, I know. I've experienced him. I've seen him with the eyes of my heart. I understand this now. It comes alive to me as I read his word. I get it. Then share that message with others that they may come and see for themselves. And that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. He's drawing people to come and see for themselves. He's drawing those who are blind, and he's drawing those who think they can see, but he's drawing them to himself. We're going to close or wrap it up with this. Turn to Revelation. Just go to the... It's easy to find. Go all the way to the end. Can't go further right. Who's saying, yes? Oh, the Preaching Zach's favorite book. Here we go. We're going to read the whole thing. <laughs> I didn't, get a, I didn't get a yes that time. All right. Uh, Revelation chapter 3. I just believe this is, you know, here, here we are, probably 90, 90 uh, AD. Um, what would be 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus. We got John who has a, a vision of Jesus in his resurrected form. He's not the baby in the manger. He's not... You know, the, the person dead on a cross, he's not the one in a tomb or the empty tomb. He is now the king of all kings. And when he sees him, he falls before him as if he was dead because he is in awe of who Jesus is. He's seen him for himself. And as he writes to the churches, Jesus tells them, send these letters to the churches. And here's the, here's the letter to the church of Laodicea. We can read it and pick it up in verse 14. Jesus says, write this letter to the angel or to the messenger of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. He's like, I know all. 
I know all the things you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you're lukewarm, like lukewarm water, you're not hot nor cold. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And you say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize. That word realize is that same word, see. You, you don't see. You don't see that you're actually wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that's been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you'll not be ashamed by your nakedness and buy ointment from me that your eye, for your eyes so you'll be able to see. He says, verse 19, you know, it sounds harsh, but he says, but I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. You know, it's a reminder, even tonight as we read this, that this was to believers, that he wrote to them, hey, come and see. You, you think you're doing okay? Don't bank on that alone. Come and see. Are you still seeing me? Even if you think you see, come and see. There's more to see. What I love about this is Jesus is the initiator of all of these things. It's the, he's the one, whether it's directly or indirectly, he's the one who initiates the drawing on the heart. Think about it. Peter was called by Andrew, but who was called by Jesus. The woman at the well, it's Jesus who starts the conversation with her. Zacchaeus in the tree, it's Jesus who stops and says, hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. As Paul's just on his merry way to Damascus, it's Jesus who says, hey, we're going to have a conversation right here and right now. If you hear his voice in your heart tonight, he is the one initiating that conversation. He is. He's drawing on you. He's the one who does it. But our responsibility is our response to that call. To that call. You know, I think for some of us, when we hear that he's drawing us to come and see him, we're, we're, we're like Thomas. We want to see with our own eyes. You know, Jesus, show me something amazing. Like, Answer my prayer, heal my friend, and then I'll believe. Fix my marriage, or give me some money, and then I'll believe. I gotta see, I gotta see that, that, you, you know, that you're real, that you're gonna come through for me. You know, we're, we're all tempted with that thought. We all wanna be able to, to see. You know, when Thomas said to the disciples, they're like, hey, Jesus is alive, we've seen him, and he's, he's like, no, nah, I don't believe until I can what? Until I can put my fingers in the holes and put my hand in his side, you know, of his resurrected body, I'm not going to believe. And so Jesus meets Thomas, and he gives him that opportunity. He says, eh. he sees Thomas, and Thomas is like, yeah, he's alive. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, we're not, gonna, we're not letting you off that easy. Thomas, come here, put your, put your finger in there. How does he know? Because he's Jesus. Put your finger in the, put your hand in my side. He's like, now do you believe? He's like, yes, yes, I believe. And Jesus says to him in verse 29 of John 20, he says, you believe because you've seen me. You believe is that you see with the inner man enough to trust. You trust me completely. You've, you've seen that because you've seen me with your physical eyes. But blessed are those who believe, who see, who experience, who know, who trusts without seeing me with the physical eye. Why? Because the eyes of their understanding, the eyes of their heart can see. 
You know, so often, you know, we want like a self-help message. We'd love for something at the end of this to be like, okay, what do I do now? I, you know, I, okay, I just want to fix things in my life. Like preach something about relationships or money, just not giving, but about money, how I can get more, you know, whatever, whatever. So I can do something. And you know, I, I even, even myself, when I was preparing for this, I'm like, I just want to, like, I'm a, like Mr. Fix it. I just, let me give them something to do, Lord. As I read this, I realized there's, there isn't this something to do. So we read this morning, you know, about the story of Moses. Moses went to a burning bush, and we saw this bush burning. He stopped because it grabbed his attention, and out of that bush came the voice of God. It was just a normal bush. There was nothing, there was nothing incredible about it. And it just was this prompting in my own heart that tonight my prayer is that I'm like that bush. There's nothing incredible about what I'm sharing tonight other than that I pray you hear his voice. And if his voice is grabbing you tonight, it's because he's initiating it. You can't do it any other way. And he's not initiating something for you to go and say, okay, now I'm going to try harder. He's saying, would you come to me? Because otherwise you miss all of it. And the whole point of the series is that we would come and see with the eyes of our heart and our understanding for ourselves. In Hebrews 3, he just says, if you hear his message, if you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. You get that opportunity. You still have that response. If you feel the prompting here, even if it's convicting to say, yes, Lord. I'll leave you with a couple verses here. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. You're not going to have it in your Bibles unless you have the message version. And I would encourage you to go read it in the real Bible. But the message is a version by Eugene Peterson that just, he, he takes this, uh, the scripture and just puts it in a phraseology. He's not saying this is not a translation. This isn't what Jesus actually said. But man, it is, a, it is the idea of what he said. And it rings, it rings true in a different way as you hear it. Jesus was calling out to people saying, if you're weary, come to me. And he writes it this way. He's like, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Well, then come to me. Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch. What is that? See. See how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I'm not going to lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You know, the message of Jesus always has been is come to me. You're weary, heavy burden, come to me. Come see for yourself. Come see for yourself. Why? Because I think it's uh, really important for us to be aware of the end of the story. So we're going to finish in Revelation. You know, we just read what Jesus had said to this church in Laodicea. If you're still in Revelation, you just just jump a few verses to chapter 4, and here's how chapter 4 starts. John says, after he wrote the letters to the churches, he says, then as I looked... I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice that I heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. It was loud, and the voice said, come up here, and I'll show you what must happen after this. What is, that? What is the essence of those words? Come and see. Come and see. John's like, man, I'm, I'm about to see how everything unfolds in the end. And he says, I hear this voice again. Come and see. Come and see. This voice, these visions would go on to describe all kinds of things that would happen with the church and the world, revealing to the end of time. As you flip to the very end of the book, we read in Revelation 22. You can go there, it's the very end. We can't go any further to the right, so we'll be done. 
Revelation 22, verse 12. It's actually mentioned many times, verse 7 as well, verse 20 as well. But it says this in verse 12. Jesus says, look, another verb for see. See, I'm coming soon. Bring in my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. You know, the deeds are a reflection of the heart. And a changed heart results in these deeds. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. We started this series with a man named Jesus saying to some others, come and see. And he ends by flipping it by saying, see, I'm coming. I'm coming soon. That truth has never been more true than it is today. And our lives to be lived in a reflection of that is why it's so important for each and every one of us, whether we think we see or we think we're blind. Jesus, help us open our eyes that we may come and see. Just like to the church of Laodicea, they just come to me. Come to me, I'll give you the salve for your eyes. Come to me. And maybe tonight's more like a wake-up call where the lights just came on, like Apostle Paul type thing where you're like, I have been doing this wrong. And now I know. Man, he's simply saying, would you come to me? Come to me. I love the picture of these baptisms because that's exactly what happens. When you come to him, you realize who you are and what you need to do as a result of laying down that old life to follow him. And my goodness, he washes it all away, changes you from the inside out. And we will gladly say with everyone else, come, Lord Jesus, come. Man, I know you're coming. Come quickly. Come quickly. There's an old Irish hymn. Tomorrow the kids are actually going to sing it. Don't show up. We don't have room. But (laughs) there's an old Irish hymn called Be Thou My Vision. Be Thou My Vision. I'm supposed to sing it tomorrow. I try and I just cry. You don't want to see that anyway. But Be Thou My Vision is this long-standing call of the heart that Jesus, let my eyes be on you at all times. Riches I need not, nor man's empty praise. You are my treasure now and always. High King of heaven, (laughs) high King of heaven, my treasure thou art. It's people who have come and see. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for drawing me from where I was. Thank you for continuing to draw me to you through your word. Thank you that it's living and powerful that the veil gets removed by your spirit and we can understand and know. Lord, thank you for speaking to every heart here tonight. Those in this room, those watching, those listening somewhere, Lord, I know you're there. Father, I pray tonight, above all, that each and every one of us would answer that call to just come and see one more time. Have that deeper connection, deeper relationship with you. Lord, as we live this out, there's so many around us who just simply need you. May we be so full of you that you overflow in our lives to those around us. May they see you, Jesus. May they be changed by you. Father, I know we can't make you do anything, but I know that you said that when you were lifted up, you would draw men to yourself. And just pray tonight that those hearing your voice, you're drawing on them say yes to you. Lord, we plead on their behalf tonight. Father, we thank you again for the chance to be together for this thing called the church. Thank you for those who experienced baptism tonight. What a great picture. Jesus, we love you and we honor you. The great gift that you've given to each of us. Life and freedom. 
and joy evermore. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll come and see the series is over. The thought remains. And so we have some questions for for you to dig into. Some of you thought we read the whole Bible tonight. We did not. There is more to read. And so we have some scriptures up there. I'd love for you to take a chance at doing as well.